kiddos. We are so glad you're in here. It is a family Sunday. We love family Sundays. And that's when all the kids are in from City Light Kids to worship with us. So you got your tambourines and your egg shakers. And if I start preaching good, just grab those tambourines and shake them. Let me know. That can be your little amen and hallelujah. Well, my name is Gavin. I'm one of the pastors here to serve City Light Church. And that's Bible time. Get your Bibles, your Bibles, open your Bibles, open them up. We're going to read our Bibles. We're going to be in John chapter 4, verses 46 through the end. And uh, let me start this way. One of my favorite things to do when I get home from work is to chuck my kids in the air as high as I can get them. Now, I'm not talking like a little toss. I've developed a technique. If you squat down and explode upwards with your leg muscles, you can get a, you can get a three-year-old a good 12 feet in the air. There's something about a three-year-old's weight distribution that makes them perfect for chucking. When they get more up into six and seven, they get lanky and long. It gets harder. But I'm telling you, a three-year-old is really a terrific program. So now, to be clear, my neighbors have not yet called CPS, and I haven't dropped a kid yet. So we're, we're doing good with this program, by the grace of God. Uh, my lawyer said that I need to say, don't try this at home. And so I don't promote this activity, but I do participate it, in it myself. Now... My kids, this has become their favorite moment of the day. When I come home and chuck them, you know, chuck me, Daddy, my turn, and we just, they fly in the front yard. Now, my son, my oldest son, he's seven, he has not always enjoyed this activity, you know, as much as he does now. When he was about two, not a big fan. It took a little while for him to trust me. And so at first he would kind of grab my arms and not let me, you know, chuck him. And that's dangerous. When you're going up and he's hanging on, it, it, it can be a dangerous moment. But over time, as I chucked him a little bit, I could start to throw him a little bit more and a little bit more. And his faith in me developed in such a way that now I can chuck him up. But, uh, up into the air, that is, um, <laughs> he would not be able to enjoy this activity, enjoy the strength of his father, unless at first he had faith in me, unless he trusted me, right? This is a picture of biblical Faith. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1 says that faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So Grady had to exercise faith. He had to feel assured and convinced that I would catch him, even though he couldn't see the future. He couldn't see the result. He had to place faith in me. And as his faith grew over time, so did his enjoyment of his father. And church, this is a picture of the Christian life. Listen to me, we live by faith, not by sight. To trust Jesus means, hey, I can't see everything, I don't know the result, but I'm going to believe him at his word. I'm going to believe his promises, I'm going to walk by faith in what he has said in his word, and not just by sight, what makes sense to me. And God's design for us is that we would grow in our faith over time. See, faith is like a muscle. How do you grow your muscles? I clearly don't do it. But Josh does. We grow our muscles by exercising them. The more you use your muscles, the stronger your muscles become. It's the same way with our faith. The way we grow our faith is exercising our faith. Exercising our small faith leads to a big faith, and it, and it leads to experiencing more of God. Now, to be clear, faith has a starting point, okay? There is an initial moment where we have what's called saving faith. That's where we say or we trust Jesus, place our faith in Jesus to save us from our sins. It means we confess that we are a sinner. We have not lived up to God's standard. We believe that Jesus has come, died, and rose to give us forgiveness and new life. And we place our faith in Jesus. That's where it begins. But then, throughout the rest of our lives, God's agenda in our lives is to grow our faith. 
to teach us to trust him, to, to, to mine this book for its word and its truth and its promises and to believe it even when we can't see it. His agenda is to grow our faith. And so some of you guys know my story. My initial you know, saving faith moment happened when I was about a junior in high school. I trusted Jesus. He saved me from my sins. I had faith. But over the last, whatever, 20 years, God has been growing that faith, teaching me how to trust him more. And it's been when I exercise faith that my faith grew. So I remember like getting out of college and having my first kind of big boy job, and I got a paycheck with a comma in it. I had never seen a paycheck with a comma. I didn't know what that little thing meant, but then I cashed it, and it was good. And all of a sudden, I had to decide, am I going to tithe to the local church and give to God? And all of a sudden, my tithe check has more zeros. And it was a step of faith. I had to actually, okay, these are, these are real dollars, and I have real needs, and am I going to trust God in this? And we just made a decision early on, we're going to do that. We're going to tithe. And guess what? It was, it was a hard step of faith then. God has grown that faith in us over time. Um, a few years ago, when Chris and I had the infamous Jimmy John sandwich, dude, we should plant a church. I think God's calling us into this. That was horrifying. <laughs> I mean, we really, there was no site. It's not like this is City Light number four and we've got a good track record. It's like, what is City Light? It was that first step of faith. Is anyone going to come? Are we making the dumbest decision of our lives? And yet God said, take the step of faith. And over time, we've seen God... Be true to his word that said, I will build my church, go and make disciples, baptize, teach them that God honors those promises. And so I've grown in my faith. Now we're addicted to church planting. We've just seen God move. Over time, God grows us in our faith. And what we're going to see today is really a prototype of a man who is growing in his faith. We're going to see an affluent and influential man. He's, uh, he's a, an official in Herod's uh, you know, regime. And he's going to come to Jesus, and we're going to see him progress at the very beginning as a very little faith. He comes to Jesus just to get something from Jesus. But we're going to see Jesus skillfully mature this man's faith. And by the end of our nine verses that we're going to study today, we're going to see that this man has a faith that is multiplying to the people around him. And he serves as, a, as an example to us of a growing faith. And so what I want us to consider this morning is are we exercising faith in Jesus? Are we believing him in his word? Are we honestly trusting him in this moment? Number one, have you placed your faith in Jesus to become a Christian? We're going to talk about that. And furthermore, if you have, are you more faith-filled this year than you were last year? Are we as a church trusting God, believing God's word and God's promises more this year than we were last year? My longing for this church is that we would trust Jesus. We wouldn't just talk about faith, we would exercise faith, and we would trust Jesus, and we would get to experience and enjoy more of him because of it. So let's get into our verses. Chapter 4. We've got nine verses this morning. Um, it's this official that comes to Jesus, and we're going to see his faith progress. And I want to show you kind of three phases of his faith um, as we walk through this verse by verse together. So the first thing I want to show you, verses 46 through 48, I think we see a picture of a weak faith. Okay? So this is going to be point one. I would define it this way, a weak faith is wanting the power of Jesus more than the person of Jesus. I know this is how I started. I didn't love Jesus right away. I just wanted saved from some things. I wanted some answered prayers. And uh, this is where a lot of us begin, and this is where this man begins. He wants the power of Jesus more than the person of Jesus. Let's look at it. Verse 46. It says, so he came again to Cana. That's Jesus. Jesus came again to Cana in Galilee. This is in the north uh, where he had made the water 
wine. So remember, Jesus, life of the party, starts his ministry in Cana, hashtag water to wine. Then he goes down to the south where he has a baptism ministry, or so do his disciples, and John the Baptist gets insecure. Do you remember that? He comes back up through Samaria. That was last week. He meets with the woman at the well. Now he's back up in the north. So he already did his first miracle in this town, so he's got a reputation. This guy works miracles. He's powerful. And so there's a crowd surrounding Jesus. They're looking at him as a miracle worker. We read on. It says, And at Capernaum there was an official whose son was ill. So here's this official. He's got an ill son. It says he's from Capernaum. Capernaum was about 18 miles away. It was down the hill. It was a fishing village right on the Sea of Galilee, 18 miles away. Um, Verse 47. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea up to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. All right. This is the setting of the story, right? There's a man, a very wealthy man. He's a man that has everything he could possibly want except for one thing. His youngest son is ill. He's extremely sick, and he is about to die. Now, as a parent, I know there is nothing I wouldn't do for my kids. And there is no worse feeling in the world than when your child needs something and you can't provide for him. That's this man in this moment. Here's his father. He's got power. He's got connections. He's got influence. And none of that serves him in this moment because it can do nothing for his dying son. And so this man is desperate. And so he hears that Jesus, the one who turned the water into wine, is back into Cana. And so you can imagine the hope fill this man's body as he knows there's a miracle worker and this is his last hope and his last chance. So he gets on his horse, he marches the 18 miles galloping through the hills up to Cana. You can picture him out of breath, but longing to get to Jesus and he gets before him and he begs this man, this carpenter to help his son. Now that word in verse 47 that he asks him, let me nerd out, it's a, it's a progressive verb. In other words, he didn't just ask him, he asked and he kept asking. He asked and he kept asking. He's a persistent, he's begging. And you can imagine the contrast. Here you've got this highly influential, rich political leader on his knees holding the hands, the calloused hands of a blue-collar carpenter, begging him for, 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 for him to do something. And so the stage is set. Let's look at how our compassionate Lord Jesus replies, okay? Verse 48, what's he say? So Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Okay, can we keep it real about Jesus' reply for just a second? This man's out of breath, he's journeyed, his son is dying, he's on his knees, and Jesus does not exactly go positive, encouraging, K-love. Did you notice this? It's like, Lord you could probably use to take some counseling classes from Pastor Joe. Like, this guy's kid is dying. But, but let me show you something. Jesus is masterful. Obviously, he's God, but he is a masterful teacher. Watch what he, he is surgically precise in his response. He knows exactly what he's doing. The man's begging, show me a miracle, do something for me. I need something from you. And he says, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Let me show you what he's saying. First off, he he uses the plural form of you here. Unless you, unless you guys, Pastor Cameron, we're back from Kentucky this week. He'd say, unless all y'all, unless all y'all see signs and wonders, you will not believe. I wish I could preach like that. Man eats squirrels on a regular and I love him. That is a a great East Kentucky or East Tennessee boy. Unless all y'all, so what Jesus does, he uses this moment where this man is desperate before him as an opportunity to correct not only this man, but the entire crowd. 
You see, they had come around him to see a miracle performed. Jesus had become nothing short of a religious sideshow in this community. He's a miracle worker. He does signs and he does wonders. And what Jesus is doing for both the crowd and for this man in particular is redirecting their attention away from the sensationalism of the miracles and right to he himself. His goal is not just signs and wonders and to receive things from Jesus, but to believe in Jesus. He's helping them see past the facade and the veneer and the wonders and to show them that it's all about him. He wants this man to move beyond just wanting something from Jesus to actually believing in Jesus. And so City Light, let me take this moment while the text, while the plot line is still in tension, you know, what's going to happen here, to press in what I think we can already apply from this text already. And that's this, what we learned from this text so far is that Jesus doesn't only draw us into religious activity, he wants to draw us to himself. See where I'm going? It's one thing to draw near to Jesus for what we can get from him. And that's a good and godly thing. God is a good gift giver. Jesus loves to give good gifts to his children. He loves to bless his children. It's okay to come to Jesus for what you need from him. It's okay to be a part of church community for its benefits. This is, this is a fun thing we get to do. I love gospel-centered community because the people are awesome. They're for you. They encourage you. There's donuts to the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. You have a baby and people bring you lasagnas. And there's you know moms and moms can have play dates and kids for your kids to play with. And all of that is wonderful. But, but what Jesus is showing us is that he doesn't let us stop there. The blessings are not the point. He is the point. You with me? Jesus is the center. And so what this guy is doing, he's, he's trying to strengthen this man's faith and get him past what Jesus can do for him and actually to who Jesus is and to treasure him. So let me ask you, do you have a weak faith still? Maybe you're coming to get things from Jesus, and that's okay, but, but Jesus wants to progress you into coming to get Jesus, Right? So let me just confess, as I read this text, I had to apply it to my own heart, and there are many a weeks when my prayer life is like, Jesus, you know, would you give us these resources to do this? Would you help my kids do this? Would you really help me preach a good sermon this week? And I spent a lot of times asking things from Jesus and very little time enjoying the person of Jesus. And this text has redirected my heart that he is the treasure. Students in the room, is your prayer life dominated by Jesus? Would you please help me? Get through this test. Get through this exam. Those of you who are in sales, is your sales, are your prayers dominated by God? Well, you know, would you give me favor with this client so I can just do better? Dads in the room, is your prayer life dominated only by help my kids be athletic and awesome? <laughs> it's okay to want these things, but what Jesus is showing us is that we are settling for a shallow and small faith and that Jesus has more for that, for us than that. This text is inviting us to see that Jesus not only gives us treasures, he is our treasure. Amen? A weak faith is when we move past just wanting the power of Jesus and we see that the treasure is the person of Jesus. And so let me show you the official's faith and how it progresses. Let me show you a point to a growing faith. A growing faith, faith is trusting the word of Jesus more than the wonders of Jesus. Let's pick it up in verse 49. It says, the official said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. And so he's persistent. He continues to ask. In verse 50, Jesus said to him, go, your son will live. This is a brilliant response once again. Let me so, show you um, 
how masterful and how intentional Jesus' reply is. Remember, Jesus' goal in this moment, um, he, he wants to do miracles. He's happy to you know, provide healing, but he's trying to draw this father past the miracles into himself. And so watch his answer. He gives a partial denial and a partial um, granting. Jesus grants the healing. I'll heal your son. But what does he deny? He doesn't go with him. No, you go back. And what does he give him? Does he give him a sign to confirm that he's going to do it? What's he give him? His word. He gives him a promise. He says, yes, I'm going to heal your son, but I'm not going to give you a sign. I'm not even going to go with you. Young man, you need to believe my word. And this guy, he believes it. Watch how he responds in the end of verse 50. Does he beg him for a sign? Does he beg him to come with? It says, this man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. Do you see how his faith is maturing? He's not just there for a miracle anymore. He doesn't just want signs and wonders and a magic show. He's heard the word of Jesus and he believes the word of Jesus and his faith is starting to grow. There's a saying that says, seeing is believing. But this guy models for us that that faith in Jesus is the opposite. It's believing what you can't yet see. It's taking God at his word, even when you can't see how that's going to work out. Let me tell you personally, when I read this book without faith, it's an archaic, two-dimensional, black and white text. that's ancient words on a page. But when I read the word of God with faith, believing what it says, it becomes my very life. It becomes the the lens through which I see the entire world. When you believe Jesus's words and what he says, it will absolutely change your life. Let me give you some real practical examples. I'm not just hyping up the Bible as a good book. It will change you when you believe it, right? One of many of our favorite verses is Romans 8, 28, right? God says that, um, or it says that God works all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Now listen, God works all things together for good for those who love him, all things. When you read that without faith, it's a neat little, you know, put it on a bumper sticker or on a Christian coffee mug, sell it at parables, it'll make money. It's a nice little quip. But I'm telling you, when you believe that, even when you can't see it, it will get you through any trial in life. I've not been through many trials, but we've, we've taken some shots, you know. Um, Sarah and I lost a a baby early on, a miscarriage, but it was very, very hard for us a few years ago. But guess what? It didn't destroy us. Why? We believed the word of God. When you lose a child like that, you might think, well, by sight, there's nothing redemptive about this, right? My sight says, how is this a win on any level? But our faith said, God works all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to our purpose. And so our, our Faith became our sight. We believed the word of God and it changed our perspective on the situation. Faith is believing what you can't see. When when you believe the word of God, you operate in a faith that becomes sight. Chris and I have talked about this. Every step of faith we've taken as a church um, has truly not been by sight. God has never said, here's the money and the means and how it's all going to work out. Now make the decision. He's never allowed us to do that. Since day one in the Jimmy John's, eating the gargantuan and the Diet Cokes, right? But we've just believed the word of God, where Jesus says, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. We've just believed the great commandment when he says, oh, to be a Christian, actually go and make disciples, baptize them, teach them to obey. I will be with you until the very end. And so we say, Lord, 
It's on you, not me. You said so, so here we go. And every time, it's not been sight, it's been faith. Faith is, is believing what you cannot see, and that's what this official does. His faith is growing. In this moment, he has no guarantees. Jesus didn't do a magic trick. He didn't perform a sign. He gave him his word, and he believed Jesus at his word. Now, let me show you one more thing. I found this fascinating. Of course, you know, the most fascinating thing is uh, the dad becomes a Christian, the son gets healed, but, but let me show you one more really, really, really interesting thing. Look at verse 51 with me. It says, as he was going down, that's the father, as he was going down, back to Capernaum, as he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better, and they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, that's 1 p.m., the fever left him. The father knew that this was the hour when Jesus said to him, your son will live. Here's what's fascinating about this. Remember, this is an 18-mile journey. Jesus said your son will be healed at 1 p.m. When does it say the servant said that the son was healed? Yesterday at 1 p.m. You catch what this is saying? This guy didn't go home right away. Remember, this is, he's going downhill from Cana down to Capernaum. This is a rich man. He's got an entourage. He's got fast horses. He has whatever he wants. And yet, he doesn't rush home that day. Why not? We don't know. The text doesn't say. So we can't write it in. We can speculate. Maybe he had some family in Capernaum, and while he's there, he wanted to visit him. Maybe he had some business or in Cana. Maybe he had some business in Cana that he wanted to attend. Maybe he wanted to hang out with Jesus' disciples for a little bit. We don't know. But what we see is a dramatic contrast between this guy's horse ride into Cana and his ride back to Capernaum. His ride into Cana is, is frantic, it's desperate, it's hurried, it's worried, it's a breathless race. But evidently, his ride back was anything but that. You know what the difference was? Faith. He had faith in the word of God, and even his disposition in the unknown changed. So the question for us is, which one of these rides describes your life? Is it frantic and anxious? Or is it peaceful and at ease? I mean, really. I think that's a good barometer, a good litmus test for the faith in your life life. Listen, to be honest with me, on my best days, I am at ease. I'm laid back, trust the Lord, I walk in peace, plenty going on in the family and with the church, but I'm at ease. I just trust the Lord. And on my worst days, I think it's all about me, and my life looks like the first horse ride. Frantic, stressed out, anxious, got to do it, got to get it done. And the difference is, am I operating out of trust in Jesus. And so Citylite, what I want to call us to is a growing faith. More and more, we would rest in the word of God. Amen? Even in our trials, God's working all things together. God's going to do the work. We can rest in his promises. And so again, this exercise or this faith thing, it's like a muscle. I want us to grow in this, to trust Jesus in the moment, in the present tense. Um, now let me show you kind of the, the end of this story. Um, let me show you you know, the final fruitfulness of this man's faith. Um, and here's the last point. Kind of the last progression is, is a multiplying faith. A multiplying faith is a belief in Jesus that impacts lives around you. Look at the last two verses, 53 and 54. It says, The father knew that this was the hour when Jesus had said to him, Your son will live. 
And he himself believed in all his household. This was now the second time that Jesus, or this was the second sign that Jesus did when he came from Judea to Galilee. It's the third time the word believed is used in verse 53. And each time it's used, it's used with more assurance. And here's what's happened. This guy has matured in his faith from believing Jesus could give him something to believing that Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The context of this implies he's now a fully committed believer in Jesus. He's gone from just moved beyond wanting the power of Jesus and the wonders of Jesus to realizing he is the Son of God who came to do what he said he came to do. And he is now a Christian. And can I tell you that his conversion is actually the greatest miracle in the story? Him coming to faith in Jesus is actually the punchline. It's not the healing. The healing's wonderful. Jesus healing this young man, yes, it shows us God's compassion, God's power, God's love. But the punchline is that the old man gets saved. Think about this. The young man's physical healing was temporary in nature. Is this young man alive today? No, he died, right? I don't know if he bought him another three years or maybe he died an old man. But what we know is that his physical healing was a temporary healing. He died again, but there was an eternal healing that happened. And that's when the father placed his faith in Jesus. That's the greatest miracle of all. Furthermore, verse 53, not only did he believe, but also all, or, but all of his household also. So his trust in Jesus became contagious in his context to the people around him. Not only did he get saved, but his kids saw his faith and they placed their faith in Jesus. The workers in his household, which that word household would include, Apparently, a number of them placed their faith in Jesus. They became a believer in Jesus because they saw his what? Faith in Jesus. And this is a pattern we're going to see throughout John. You remember, um, you know, friends with dinner and changing the world. My sermon is all about relationships, people coming in. The very last chapter, the woman at the well, what happened? She had an encounter with Jesus. She placed her faith in Jesus. And verse 37 or 39 says she went back to her community and many there placed their faith in Jesus as well. What about this man? He has an encounter with Jesus. He becomes a believer in Jesus. And the people in his household also place their faith in Jesus Christ. Did you know that your faith in Jesus, your faith in Jesus, is the greatest witness to the people around you? I think we have this false fictional um, thought, this fantasy, I know I have, that if God were just to do more miracles... If God just did more supernatural signs and wonders, then more people in the world would respond in faith. Have you ever thought about that? I still think about it. If God would just, if God would just do, you know, why does he make it? I think what this text shows us is that God does use miracles. He does use supernatural signs and wonders, but they're actually very limited in scope. And they can actually become a distraction to people placing their faith in Jesus. Do you notice that in this passage? the people around Jesus have become so mesmerized, so caught up in the sensationalism around his miracle working, that they failed to see him and his desire to save them from their sins. And so he actually needs to to redirect their hearts and their minds away from the miracles and onto, onto he himself. So I think what we can learn from this is we pray for miracles. We want God to do miraculous healings. We believe he can do whatever he wants. But his primary way to reach the world is through faithful men and women who are actively trusting him in the present. Your faithful witness of believing Jesus and his word in the present 
is more effective to reach your neighbors, coworkers, and friends than any miracle ever could be. Parents, I want you to know that the greatest witness to your children is seeing your active faith. Not just, I prayed a prayer when I was nine. That's wonderful. Share your testimony with your kids. But to let your kids see you believing God in the present, trusting his promises. Here's some ways you can do that. If you sin, especially if you sin against your kids, say you, you lose your temper, you're selfish, you yell at them. One of the greatest witnesses to the gospel is to, to model for them trusting Jesus for forgiveness. To tell your kids, I sinned. I disobeyed God by losing my temper and yelling at you. And I'm asking for your forgiveness, and I'm asking God for his forgiveness. And they're seeing you trust Jesus for forgiveness. If you write a tithe check, if you give money generously, bring your kids into that. I think one of the greatest witnesses, I know it was for me, I saw my parents, we grew up kind of, you know, lower middle class. We didn't have a lot, but I remember my parents giving, you know, generous sums to the church. That left a witness on me. I knew that that's not easy for them to do. And I watched their faith that had an impact on me. So let your kids see that. Pray together with your kids. God, would you provide? Would you provide everything that we need? Your faith in the present will be the greatest witness to them. And can I also say for us as a church family, you guys, this will be our greatest witness. Our greatest witness will not be me preaching nice sermons about how, you know, city of Omaha ought to have faith. It's when we express faith as a church family. We could very easily just, you know, play it safe and start to just do nice church and, and uh, preach some nice sermons and, you know, set up some endowment giving and, and, some, and some backup funds and, and to really insulate this thing and kind of protect what God is doing. Got a good thing going on. There's donuts for crying out loud. What else do you want, you know? People are meeting Jesus. We got a fun thing here. But no, 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 no. What if we continue to take steps of faith? What if we continue to trust God? I am convinced that our greatest witness to this community and to the nations will be our heart posture, trusting Jesus, believing his word, that he wants to save more, that he wants to do more, that he wants more glory and more worship and more of our city and more of the ends of the earth's uh, reach for his glory. So I want to trust Jesus that he would give us a multiplying faith. Amen, church? Let me end with this. I'm going long. I'm going long. I want to end with, well, two things. (laughs) Not done yet. Number one, every opportunity I get, especially in the Gospel of John, I want to make explicit opportunities for people in the room to trust Jesus, to place their faith in Jesus for the first time if you have not. The theme verse of this baby is John chapter 20 and verse 21. John says, I write these things that you may believe, and by believing, experience life in his name. So why did John record this story of the dad with the sick kid? So that you would believe. That we would see his faith in Jesus and you too would become a believer in Jesus and have eternal life in his name. There is no other name given under heaven by which men are saved but the name of Jesus Christ. And so I want to invite you this morning. How did this man become a believer? He believed the word of, of God. He believed it. And that's the invitation for you this morning. Listen to John chapter 5 and verse 24. Just the very next chapter says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. Now listen, everyone in the room is at least halfway there. You've heard the words of Jesus. You have heard the good news of the gospel. Step two is to believe it. And so if you haven't yet believed it this morning, would you believe it for yourself? That you are a sinner undeserving of God's love, in fact, deserving of God's wrath, and yet Jesus came as your Savior, not just the Savior, but your Savior. And would you receive him as Savior and Lord this morning? He would gladly forgive your sins, 
come into your life if you would humble your heart and welcome him. And second, can, can I just end by reminding all of us of the good news of Jesus Christ? That guess what? This whole thing isn't based on our faithfulness to God, but actually God's faithfulness to us. Isn't that the good news of the gospel? Yes, Jesus wants us to grow in our faith, but listen, we're not perfect in our faith. We've blown it in our faith. We've been unfaithful to God. We have not believed the promises of God, and yet Jesus has been faithful to us. He's been faithful where we were faithless. And it's not our faith in Jesus. It's Jesus' faithfulness to us that holds us in the love of God, eternally secure, safe in him because Jesus paid it all. Jesus is the ultimate faithful one. Amen? Amen. Let's respond by the taking of communion this morning. It's in communion that we remember that Jesus has been faithful to us. In fact, faithful all the way to the cross. Listen to 1 Corinthians 11. This is our instructions. It says, the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So this morning, if you are a believer in Jesus or want to become a believer in Jesus, you are welcome to the Lord's table. Uh, By way of instruction, the band will play. You guys will stand up, we'll sing, come forward whenever you're ready. Uh, They will break the bread for you. You dip it in the juice, partake that way. Food allergies, uh, you've got a special station in the back. Additionally, we have a prayer team in the back. And listen, we know the punchline of this baby is that this guy believed in Jesus and was saved. And so number one, if you want to become a Christian this morning, uh, there's some people in the back that are prepared to pray with you, to guide you through what it looks like to trust Jesus and become a Christian. Would you believe today And express that to God by going back and praying with one of our prayer team members. Additionally, we know the punchline is the salvation, but the kids still got healed. And we believe God still heals. And listen, we don't have an absolute promise like this young man did. That's the difference here. He said, your son's going to be healed. And so he was. There's no guarantee that anyone's getting healed. We all will one day when Jesus comes back. And yet, God does love to give good gifts. And so it would be a fitting morning. Do you have a physical ailment? Is your child sick? Would you go to the back? We would love to pray for them. And so, God, this morning we celebrate that, Jesus, you were the faithful one. You call us to faith, and yet, God, we have been unfaithful. We have not believed your word. We've lived out of what we can see and not out of what we believe and what you say. And yet, Jesus, you were the faithful one. You came to be faithful on our behalf, and you were faithful to the Father, obedient to him, even to the point of death on the cross. And now, Jesus, we trust you. We believe you. And Father, more and more would we be faith-filled and would we be faithful. Help us to believe the word of God, not just as some archaic text, but the very word of God to guide and orient our lives. Oh God, make us more faithful to you this year than ever before. We now remember you as we celebrate communion. In Jesus' good name, amen.